Welcome to each of you who is here today um, to worship our Lord. Glad that you could be uh, here with us. And if you're a visitor in our midst, we're especially glad to have you here and hope that you will uh, feel embraced and welcomed by us all and will want to be back to worship with us here on uh, many future occasions. Uh, lots of announcements in the bulletin, but I do want to single something out it appears that there's uh, a young lady in our church turning 85 uh, today. Uh, uh, Helen Flynn, is today your birthday? Well, happy birthday to you. We, we celebrate that. There's some flowers in her honor in the back, and I just noticed that it was a, a, uh, a birthday bouquet, so we celebrate that. Going on in the life of the church, we remind Council on Ministries members of their meeting this afternoon, as well as the uh, membership committee that will be, be meeting, and other things in the bulletin that uh, we invite you to read as you have, well, someone said do it during the sermon when you don't have anything else to do, uh, you know, something like that. But uh, it is good to see you here today, and let us now begin our time together in worship.
Our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881 in your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead of heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Be seated, please. This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Jack Four for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. Back when Jesus was living and had just started his ministry, there was another guy who was living in the area that was preaching out in the wilderness. People were coming from out of Jerusalem, all over Judea, to listen to him. And he was repenting, he was preaching repentance to ask, in other words, to ask God for forgiveness for the things they'd done wrong. And he was baptizing them in the River Jordan. The guy's name was John the Baptist. His clothes were out of camel's wool. He wore a leather belt. From what I've been able to read, he, just on appearance, he's kind of a rough-looking character, but he was a good, good man. And as he was baptizing these people, a lot of them thought, this has got to be our Messiah. And he told them no, that he was fulfilling the scriptures that, or what was written in the scriptures Isaiah had written, that he was only preparing the place for one who was yet to come. And he said, the one is coming, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And my point is, lots of times it's easy for us for, for children and it gets a lot easier as you get older as adults to take credit for things you don't have nothing to do with all you're doing is you're just there maybe your dad walks by your room and says hey thanks for cleaning your room up oh you're welcome knowing all the time mom straightened it up but He told them that there was one much greater coming, and he did, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to speak with these young folks this morning. Thank you for everything that you've blessed us with. If it's your will, continue to watch over us, protect us, 
and bring us all back together again. Father, most of all, thank you for the love your son showed us on the cross. In his name I pray. Amen. first lesson today is from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. <clears throat> Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent the officers to the jail with the order, release these men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, 
They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Here, uh, here ends the reading. Our responsive reading is Psalm 97 on page 816. I invite you, well actually it's on page 817. I invite you to, t to stand as you're able as together we share the word responsively. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Fire goes before the Lord and burns up his adversaries round about. The Lord's lightnings illumine the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim God's righteousness, and all the peoples behold God's glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. All gods bow down before the Lord. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice, because of your judgments, O God. For you, O Lord, are most high above over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to God's holy name. Our epistle reading is selected verses from Revelation 22, beginning with verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, 
let him take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we marvel at the wonderful stories in the book of Acts that remind us that after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the power upon the church to carry on his work. And some marvelous things were done in Jesus' name by those early Christians who went with courage and with enthusiasm and with power into their world to proclaim the good news about Jesus. We are thankful that their word and their stories come to us these many years later as contained in our holy scriptures and we marvel at your work and your power and how you could even use an occasion like a beating and an imprisonment to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We are thankful that you're able to use all things. We commit ourselves into your hands and invite you to use us in all things as well, that you might use us in our times of strength and power for the kingdom of God, that you might also use us when we're weak and imprisoned by various forces in our human nature, that you might even use us then to sing hymns and to proclaim your love through our perseverance and through our faith that continues through difficult times. And we're grateful, Lord, that you still send those earthquakes to us to give us opportunities to be your servants of love. And we remember this year has been a time of awful earthquakes all over the planet. And while we don't understand all those things, we see these as opportunities that you might use us in Haiti and other places to tell our brothers and sisters of your love and care. And we pray that you might do that also. And Lord, on this Ascension Sunday, when we remember that Jesus, after a number of days of resurrection appearances to his disciples, a day came when he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We celebrate what this means, that Jesus will reign wherever the sun goes every day, and that Jesus is the ruler of all the ages to come. And we are grateful, O oh Lord, to be a part of the company that has been won for you by Jesus. We are thankful to be part of that great assembly which will be in eternity with Jesus forevermore. We're grateful to know that no matter what happens here on earth, there is the one who has the final rule in all of our lives, and that is our Lord in whom we trust. And we're thankful for this. 
And we pray your blessings upon us as we leave this place today to go into the world to live as those who know who our king is, who know who our leader is. And may we be faithful and loyal always to him. For we pray in Jesus' name as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Here ends the lesson. You know, sometimes it's very difficult to tell who your friends are. There is an old story about a little bird who was sitting on the hard ground one cold winter's day, so cold that he thought for sure he was going to die. That is when a gardener pulled up about that time uh, with a dump truck load of topsoil, and he dumped all that warm topsoil on the little bird. Soon the little bird was feeling much warmer with all that uh, warmth around him, and he was so happy that he started singing for joy. A cat heard the singing and came along and dug out the little bird and cleaned him up and took him home for dinner. Now, the moral of this story is threefold. First, not everybody who dumps dirt on you is your enemy. Secondly, not everybody who digs you out of the dirt and cleans you up is your friend. And thirdly, the next time you find yourself in a place where you're comfortable and warm, even though you might be all covered in dirt, keep your mouth shut. Well, believe it or not, the theme of the first passage of scripture that I read today from Acts 16 is very similar to that silly little story. It's all about knowing whether a person or an event is a friend or an enemy. It's about the process of discerning whether or not an event or a person's actions are from Almighty God or not. 
Paul and Silas were preaching the good news in Philippi of Macedonia. <clears throat> the writer Luke was also there, as indicated by his repeated use of the term we, as he tells the story, letting us know he was there. A woman with some spiritual insight, especially the ability to read people like a book, and we've known some people like that. Um, they, uh, she started following Paul and Silas around, announcing to everyone, these men are special. They're servants of God, and they're going to tell you how to be saved. We read on and we learn that Paul and Silas were thrown into jail, and while they're there, an earthquake demolished the jailhouse. And finally, Paul and Silas had something in their possession that could have spared them from being beaten and thrown into jail in the first place, but they didn't use it. And as the story unfolds, we're surprised to learn that God did not send the woman to publicize their mission. She was a servant of Satan. Secondly, we learn that God didn't send the earthquake to set the prisoners free. And thirdly, we learn that sometimes our personal resources, our strengths, just get in God's way when God would rather use us in our weaknesses. In each of these things, Paul had to discern what the will of God was and what was not the will of God. Look first at that, that prophesying woman. <coughs> now, if I moved into a new community and a person started going all around town spreading the news that the United Methodist Church had a new preacher in town who was really terrific, and that people ought to just come to that church and hear him preach. I think I'd be very happy about that. I would say thank you, dear lady. Appreciate all that free publicity. What was happening to Paul and Silas was somehow reminiscent of an event that happened early in Jesus' ministry when he went to a synagogue and began teaching. And somebody there, a man spoke up and said, uh, Oh, I know who you are. You're the Holy One, the Messiah. What do you have to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? That man was the very first one to profess faith that Jesus was the Christ. But Jesus recognized that this man was a very troubled soul, a man under the domination of Satan. And so Jesus told the man to be quiet, and he told Satan to depart from that man. There must have been something about the woman that made Paul understand that she was not one of God's servants. The woman was clearly a tormented soul. A sideshow act like the bearded lady of the circus. A slave who was being used by her owners for their own monetary gain. In some mysterious way, evil was trying to use this woman to infiltrate the church where evil could do very great damage. Some years ago, I was uh, in a Christian bookstore shopping for a new Bible right after one of the new translations had just been released. And a woman saw me pick up that Bible and hold it in my hand, and she began an all-out assault on me and the Bible I was holding. She didn't work there. She was a customer like me. She said that wasn't a King James version of the Bible that I was holding, and then she added that I'd better watch out. If I read any other Bible, I would be putting my soul in danger. 
I was becoming a bit annoyed with her unsolicited book review when I noticed how pitiful and pathetic she looked. She was trembling all over, a nervous wreck, a tormented soul. While she was nowhere close to the woman that followed Paul around, she was nevertheless a person in need of a good doctor and a good psychiatrist, a fact that became even clearer to me as I watched her move over several rows in order to advise another customer who was looking at a music book, trying to tell her not to buy that book. You see, just because someone quotes scripture and likes to talk about Jesus, that doesn't make that person a Christian whose words should be believed or trusted. Sometimes a very religious-sounding person can be someone who is insane or worse, perhaps a cult leader. One must learn to discern the spirit of the person, just as Paul did. Once Paul determined that the woman was under the power of evil and oppression, Paul released her from Satan's grip. She was free and made whole. And this made her useless to her slave owners. Those owners didn't want restitution, but they did want revenge. They dragged Paul and Silas before a judge, charging that they were teaching customs that, that were illegal for Romans to follow. The magistrates ordered Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten and then thrown into jail. The jailer, who was used to working under a threat of his life every day, if he ever let one prisoner escape, he was a dead man, and he knew that. Well, he was told to take extra care with these particular prisoners, and so he put them in a cell which was inside of another cell, and then he put their feet in the stocks. Amazingly, Paul and Silas ignored their bruises and cuts and used this as an opportunity to tell other people about Jesus. They also prayed and sang hymns. About midnight, there was a mighty earthquake, so strong that it tore the jail all apart, and it ripped the chains right off the wall. Well, what would you do if you had been beaten in jail for no crime other than talking about Jesus, and suddenly you were given the chance to walk out of that jailhouse scot-free? I believe I would say, thank you, Lord, I'll be on my way now. Thanks for my freedom. But Paul and Silas knew the custom, and they knew that if they left the jail, the jailer would be killed. They discerned that God would not be sending them freedom at the price of one of his dear children. And so God must not have intended the earthquake to free them. Perhaps there was some other reason that the earthquake had come along that they could use. You know, a Christian can always find some fun by simply behaving the way Christians are supposed to act. It surprises people. They don't expect it. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It blows people's minds, or as, or as Jesus said, it's like putting hot coals on their heads. You know what I'm talking about. Things like turning the other cheek when the person expects you to cuss them out, or going that extra mile, or loving your enemy. Oh, it blows their minds. Paul must have thought, I wonder what this jailer will do if we react like Christians and do the unexpected thing and don't escape. Hey, jailer, don't kill yourself. 
We all decided to stay here because we like your room service. The jailer suddenly saw something that was really different about these Christians. They had something that he did not have. He was outside, but he was imprisoned with sin. They were inside, locked up, but they were free. What must I do to have this salvation that you have? He asked them. The jailer believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he took the prisoners home to his house, where he tended to their wounds, fed them a meal, and received baptism for himself and also all the members of his family were baptized. Paul correctly discerned that God did not send the earthquake to free him, but rather it was to be used as a means to witness to someone about Christ. Well, the story concludes when the magistrates decided the next morning that they would just turn Paul and Silas loose quietly and without fanfare. And this is where we see that these Christians could have avoided their beating and jailing completely. They were Roman citizens. They had citizenship papers that would have made the state of Arizona proud. As Romans, they could have demanded a fair hearing and a protection from the mob. Why had they not played their trump card? Perhaps it was because most of the Christians in that community did not have a trump card. They did not have a free get out of Roman jail card. Most Christians had to endure beatings, imprisonments, or worse. Paul and Silas must have discerned that here was a chance to encourage those Christians that have had to suffer for their faith. It was as if Paul and Silas said, well, if that's how you're going to treat other Christians, then don't treat me any differently. Treat me like you do all the others. Other believers in that community must have realized just how devoted Paul and Silas were to Jesus and how deeply they must believe in Christ. Often it is our patient endurance of suffering that is the greatest witness to the world in our day. Sometimes our claim to rights and privileges just gets in God's way. He'd rather use us in our weaknesses than in our strengths. It wasn't until they were about to be released and the unfairness of the judges was about to be swept under the rug that Paul and Silas decided to play their hand. Now, it, again, if it had been me in their place, I think I would have said, whew, thank you, Lord. Where's my hat and coat? I'll be on my way. But look at what Paul said, if you will excuse this whole paraphrase. Oh, no. You aren't going to beat us and jail us and then just turn us loose and expect us to go away quietly. We're Roman citizens. If you want us released from jail, then you yourselves come down to the jailhouse, apologize to us, and escort us out so that everyone in town can see that you're releasing us. Paul and Silas discerned that such a release would not only exonerate them, it would also demonstrate to that community that believing in Christ is an honorable thing. It isn't something that deserves public beatings in prison. It is something that deserves the respect of the leaders of the community. 
And you know what? The magistrates did come to the jail, and they did apologize, and they did escort them out. And everyone got to see that. They wanted Paul and Silas to hurry up and leave the city. But we read in the story that instead they went over to the house of a lady named Lydia to meet with a bunch of Christians that assembled in her home. You see, Paul now had the upper hand. He wasn't going to leave until he was ready. He stayed long enough to encourage the new believers to be faithful to Christ. Sometimes it's hard to know who your friends are. In this case, free publicity about their ministry was not being given to Paul and Silas by a friend. And a beating and a night spent in jail was a friend, which led to the conversion of an entire household. A liberating earthquake was not a friend, but a potential enemy. And the use of rights of citizenship would not have strengthened the faith of the Christians nearly as much as their patient endurance of suffering. May God grant us the wisdom we need to be able to discern those things which are gifts from God and those things which are not. Amen.